What's going on, everybody? Thanks for joining us here on the Rift Rewind, our weekly ESPN Esports League of Legends program. We are here every Tuesday, 6 p.m., 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time with Arda, Emily, Jacob, and Tyler. Lots to get to. The postseason's winding down across the world, in particular the LCS and LEC. Only a couple spots. In the LEC's case, one spot remains for a team to book their ticket to Worlds as we finalize the summer split and turn our attention gradually, slowly but surely, to the 2020 League of Legends World Championship, which we all know by now will be in a bubble in Shanghai. But before we get there we of course have to talk about everything that has happened and in particular the lcs and the lec a series of song lyrics come to mind some trails are happy ones others are blue it's the way you ride the trail that counts here's a happy one for you maybe not so happy for these teams because we will be saying happy trails Emily to certain teams that are no longer in the postseason and we shall begin uh, with a very wild one let me tell you and let you tell us actually Golden Guardians an epic series uh, that left them on the outs yeah so uh, happy trails to Golden Guardians or I'm I'm actually of all the teams that we're about to talk about I'm the most sad to see GGS go um, because I think they despite the fact that their execution uh, might have been lacking, I think they were trying to do some things differently uh, in the LCS. I think they were one of the more proactive teams that we had, especially early. Um, and that's un it's so it's like it's unfortunate to see them go uh, for me because I think they were kind of bucking the trend of what we typically see from LCS teams, which is kind of like the Team Liquid play style, uh, what FlyQuest defaulted to after you know, their kind of early aggression didn't work out in spring. Um, yeah, I really like this team. I know a lot of people have been talking about, like, please keep this roster together because I really love them. Um, I don't know if that will happen because I think, uh, you know, uh, COVID might interfere with that a bit. Um, but in terms of this, this roster itself and how they work together, I... I was really, really sad to see GGS go, especially in the way that they did with the TSM reverse sweep. Um, I think, part, like, you know, part of it definitely came down to drafting. I think a larger part of it still came down to execution. Um, I think if there's one thing that came out of it, uh, who he proved that he is uh, vastly improved as a support player. I've always called myself a, a who he apologist jokingly because I defended his play style, his mid lane play style back when he was on uh, CLG. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm just like, I'm actually like pretty gutted to see this team go because they were doing a lot of interesting things and they were doing things that were different from the rest of NA, which was, you know, uh, it's it's sad to see a team like that not make it to the world championship and see what they could learn from other teams in other regions. Anybody have any thoughts on that bard alt in game five <laughs> that uh, Biofrost threw at the dragon? What what happened there? Like, <laughs> was it just a miscommunication? Was he just go like, hoping that? No, I just think like this, this. Okay, so this entire series, right? Like this entire series, the. Bot lane for TSM looked like crap. Like they looked super outclassed, and and like it was Bjergsen and Co. Like Broken Blade had a few good games too, but like 
Yeah, like this, and, and Spika actually, to be clear, props for the Nidalee I was going to say, uh, I yeah. actually think Spika played well. Like, I think yeah, he gets a yeah. lot of undue criticism for for some from, some execution errors from the rest of the team. But yeah, in, overall, in this series like, specifically, not earlier in the split. So, bot lane for, for TSM just looked atrocious. Like, I... I don't know why Biofrost was subbed in unless, like, he was just popping off in scrims because, good lord, that was, like, painful to watch at some points, right? Like, I I don't know. Like, Balin looks so bad um, it, it, during the series, and, like, that 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 Bartle is just, like, icing on the cake for me, uh, in my opinion. Like, it, it's... Hmm. I watched this whole thing and it was just, like, good lord. Like, I know that Doublelift, like, gave a major props to FBI after the fact, but, like, and he deserves it. FBI had a great series. Um... But yeah, I mean, Jesus. All right, like, the bot lane oh. TSM looked terrible. We're going to talk about TSM at length uh, in our LCS segment. But continuing happy trails, Tyler, evil geniuses. Yeah, so I think the inverse or the reverse of what happens with Golden Guardians. Golden Guardians took a very uh, steady approach to their building of a lineup where EG was much more aggressive in the offseason, obviously using that capital to get Svenskeren and Zazel from Cloud9, bringing over Bang. We saw Huni come over after his disastrous exit from Dignitas. We've talked about at length about how they were all in on Chovy from Dragon X, who they were narrowly very, very close to getting him, but Chovy decided to take a one-year contract in South Korea to see if he could win a Summers Cup in his home nation before testing the market again this offseason. So I appreciate how aggressive they are. I, I liked how they were very they they were a team that wasn't just going to settle being middle class. They weren't going to try to get, you know, stay in the glomp of teams. They wanted to be ahead of the pack. They wanted to make big moves. They got the MVP in Fenskaren. They got in bang. I, I really do think, and it, and it comes back all the way to the beginning of the offseason, where they really wanted Chovy. Chovy was their number one option. If they get Chovy, who knows where the season goes? He really was that crown jewel that if you get him, everything might have made more sense. Obviously, Jazuke came in. He performed very he performed well at times. He looked very good during the spring split when he was on his role, but that is Shizuke, right? He has months where he looks like the best player in the world, and then there's months where EG's like, hey, we're just going to switch you up for Golden Glue. And I don't want to say it's all of Jazuke's fault. It's the player that you, you invested in, and that's the type of player he is. And I think a lot of people would agree that Jazuke was the... When Jazuke was at his best, that's when the EG was at his best the entire year. But I do think it really just goes back to that that offseason day where Chovy says, hey, uh, I like you guys. I, I'm, I'm up to going to North America, but I think I want to stay one more year to play under my, you know, my teacher, my friend, my mentor, CV Max with Dragon X. And I want to see if I can win a title in uh, uh, South Korea. And then, hey, you know, the off season, maybe we can reconnect. So I think for EG, they come into the off season. And I think when, unless Dragon X, you know, obviously Dragon X is going to go through franchising in LCK. I would be shocked if they weren't, you know, permitted and given one of those 10 franchising spots. But I do think when November 17th runs around and we're doing our free agency show and, you know, Jacob's getting all the wolf bombs, I uh, uh, EG is more than likely going to be at Chovy's door waiting to see if, you know, he wants to come around this time. Because I do think with Hooney and Bang, 
on the lineup who he now resin. I do think that they're chasing that that crown jewel of Chovy or a player like him in the free agency class. So I, I like their aggression. I, I like the staff. I like the infrastructure. I think they have a pretty decent academy team with Giyu. I think he's a really special player too, even though he is another import slot player. So if you're going to look for a bigger fish in the offseason, you probably aren't promoting him. But overall, a first good season back from EG. I think they failed their high expectations going to Worlds, but they got pretty dang close. I think for yeah. me, this season for EG was more about the mid-summer swap that they did, to be honest. Like, putting aside, I mean, I don't really uh, take, like, I agree if they were going after Chovy and then Gachizuke, whatever, but to what you said earlier, they looked the best when they actually managed to maximize Chizuke's play style and his ability to split push and side lanes. And I think when you swap that out for uh, for Huni, it's a very different play style. I'm not saying it's like good or bad. I'm just saying Huni's play style is very set in stone. I know people like to say it's incredibly inconsistent, but I actually don't think it is. I think it's been really consistent across his entire career, but the uh, way you execute it and the way that you, like if you do not have a team, again, that's willing to play around that, it is going to look very inconsistent. Um, he always TPs to, like he has an incredibly itchy teleport finger. He always TPs to bot to help out. He always TPs in to, to help his team. Um, he really wants to play these carry style, uh, these carry style champions. Um, I actually think the, the Hecarim game he played against was it uh, in their in their second series uh, was really good and kind of an illustration of how you can play around Huni on a carry. Um, but I think for me the big story of EG was the fact that they had one play style around uh, a specific player and then swapped it out for a different play style around a specific player um, and it just didn't seem to to translate as well and they also didn't seem to have as good of a read. Uh, on there, there have been a lot of meta shifts, and I'll talk about this later in the show. But like, uh, especially in top and bot, um, that have affected the entirety of the map, and I don't think they had necessarily as good of a meta read with the with the Huni setup that they'd already put in place um, to to make a deep playoff run. This season for EG is like fairly positive in terms of like building blocks, right? Like. They had to come in and, like, they took over... Of all the teams that came into the LCS, they were the only one that didn't have player contracts coming in. They didn't have any staff, nothing, right? Like, they got just the spot. That's all they bought. Not, like, the Immortals Optic ordeal, like, where they got some assets and players and staff and everything else. And, like, I think that, like, hats off to EG for, like, building the... It feels like they built the founding... Or, like, the building blocks of something more. And I think that, like, that will advance i mean i have a lot of like i have a lot of thoughts about uh what this offseason will look like that i'm sure we'll get into at a later time in terms of how coronavirus and visas and everything else will affect that um so we'll see like what type of swings people take but like in terms of early success to build on like i i feel pretty good about eg so that's my thought a lot of people are feeling good about Schalke's miracle run, but that obviously comes at the expense of many teams, one of them being SK Gaming. They fall short in the LEC playoffs, and while many people are focusing on the feel-good story of Schalke possibly being one game away from qualifying for Worlds, which we'll talk about in a little bit, Jacob, now we have to say happy trails to SK. 
Yeah, I mean, I feel similarly to SK that I do about EG uh, in terms of, like, they, by the end of it all, like, they went from a... I say this with no disrespect, but fewer brands have been, and actually EG was like this for a long time, up until recently, fewer brands have fallen off the face of the earth in esports as much as SK Gaming, right? Like, this team used to be super relevant in League of Legends uh, back in the early 2010s, uh, 2011, 2012, 2013, uh, even 14, and then it got a little bit of a decline. Then they got the Counter-Strike team, the Brazilian Counter-Strike team, and they were really, really popular for a while, too. And then they lost that to Immortals, uh, who started MIBR. And, like, SK's been, like, mega irrelevant for a considerable period of time since. And since they've gotten back into the LEC, like, my expectations for this year were, like, basically in the bottom of the bucket. Like, I didn't think they'd be a good team at all, and they proved me wrong. So, like, I they made the coaching change mid-split um, to bring in Jezus as, as the head coach. They did, like, the crazy, like, bring in and roll swap folks, which, like, I didn't have any expectation for, but actually worked out quite well. Um, so, yeah, to me, like, hats off. Hats off to SK2. I think that they definitely performed above expectations. Um, I think that they are, once again, rele- a relevant name in League of Legends in a way that they were not their first year in the LEC. And so, yeah, I, like, I had almost no expectation for this team, and they made playoffs. Like, that's that's pretty good, in my opinion. So happy trails. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Crownshot had. Uh, I mean, I think he established himself. He's as really an, good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, as an up and coming uh, LEC bot leaner, um, which is really good. I know uh, Zazzy didn't have the most fun time against Schalke. He was pretty much not allowed to play League of Legends, especially in the Syndra game. Um, but I, I think uh, he also established himself and like made some waves a bit. So. Um, and then, yeah, the, the role swap with Gen X is really interesting too. So, I mean, I'm kind of like, this is going to sound a bit mean, but like, I'm kind of glad that SK didn't make it if only because I want to see, uh, the best kind of European teams be able to go. And if trick is not able to go with this team because of visa issues, um, which we had reported previously, um, it would have been I guess kind of unfortunate if they had qualified and then not been able to play with their starting lineup. So I think that's another thing that's worth mentioning as well. Um, but this became a pretty fun team to watch, uh, especially in summer. Oh, call it here. Crown Shots contract does expire on November the 16th. Call it here. He will be on our uh, top five free agency board for for Europe this year. I can I can basically guarantee that. I've looked at the pools roughly uh, the past few weeks. I think he will definitely be up there because there aren't a ton of top free agents in Europe, and this guy like. I think there are a lot of teams that could use his services. I think that a lot of the, even some of the top teams in in uh, this region have pretty lackluster AD carries. So I think uh, in terms of Man. Uh, him him getting a, a maybe a better situation uh, with more star players around him doesn't seem uh, unlikely. I think I think that's a feasible thing. Just thinking of last year's free agency show, like Xmithy and Broxa seem like a lifetime ago. Yeah. Right. Oh well. Well, that's least- that's for another day. Well, Broxa turned it around, but yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, is fun. Or no, just the conversation around yeah. them and how they were the two top names almost uh, seems well, like yes. a lifetime ago. This year uh, we'll have uh, Chovy to talk about, so. <laughs> well, we'll NFR, talk about that NFR, at a later NFR, time. 
Let, let's keep our attention on the LEC. Uh, there we talked about SK, a team that will not be continuing on the LEC playoffs. Let's talk about teams that are. In fact, the team that has already booked their ticket to Worlds, and there is one spot remaining, of course. G2, they defeated Mad Lions. They locked their Worlds qualification. They are 9-2 and two since Week 5. They have not lost since Week 7 when they face the mighty indestructible Schalke. Tyler, what is going on with this team? Is it is it just as simple as... They had some early struggles. Perks had uh, unfortunate circumstances with his family. The team just needed more time to gel together this split. Is there more than that? What are you noticing from this team that just is making them so good again? Form is temporary and, you know, class is forever. It just, it's a thing of like, we've talked about this endlessly and we've had these, you know, check updates like every week on the Rift Drawing. Like, oh, is D2 in trouble? Is G2 in trouble? And <laughs> I feel like most of us, a majority of us have been pretty calm, especially myself being, no, they're going to make it until they are dead, until they are thrown down, until they are eliminated officially from playoffs and eliminated from Worlds. You would bet, you would bet on them every day of the week. They just... They are a team that has shown us that they can play at the highest level of League of Legends possible. We saw them at the World Championships last year. They made it to the finals. They were MSI. They destroyed everyone there. You know, wrecking, mala whopping, you know, Team Liquid in the finals in Taiwan. They've played at the highest level of League of Legends. These five players have... There's no uh, problem chemistry-wise. We don't have any issues when it comes to pure mechanical skill. Really, it just comes down to the fact that they had a slow start. It was Perks going back into the bot lane, Caps moving back into the mid lane, Perks obviously, you know, having the first few weeks of the season due to, you know, his family, uh, the, the personal issues with his father. It's a, it's a thing of it was going to take time, and it's a team where when everything clicks, where everything needs to be needs to happen when their backs are against the wall they're a team that has shown us time and time again they always know how to turn on the switch and to play as they can this is a team that they we should not doubt them they're a team that have we they've earned the benefit of doubt there are many 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 teams in the league of legends world where they do not deserve the benefit of doubt g2 is one of those teams especially this five-man roster who get along so well who have probably the best chemistry of any team in the world alongside the sides like FPX and some a few other close-knit teams that they deserve the benefit of the doubt when they don't look the greatest and we gave them the benefit of the doubt and as we saw with G2 and Fnatic when it comes to playoffs it's a whole different beast regular season especially online that's one thing but to actually win in the playoffs even if it's online it's a whole different thing a best of five is a whole different world and G2 in that world is king so let's continue the conversation with Fnatic then. Uh, like you said, Tyler, form is temporary, classes forever. The exact same can be said about Fnatic, can it not? They just swept Rogue on the path to Worlds qualification. Their job is not done, Emily. They still have one more game to go. They got to beat Schalke. They got to end the dream run, the miracle run, I should say, in order for Fnatic to qualify. But how is Fnatic playing? This is a different situation. They just were in a slump. A lot of their players didn't look so good early on in this split. What were they able to change around to make them at least closer to the Fnatic that fans would expect? So you know how we talk about, like, oh, Fnatic, um, they really like to focus on, like, a few select picks in terms of uh, how they want to play. Um, I, I thought Fnatic's drafts in the series against Rogue were really, really interesting. Uh, the the self-made Evelyn came out. Um, I'm not going to 
applaud their execution on the Kogma poke uh, because I think it actually left a lot to be desired, but I really love that draft. Um, I think that this was, uh, like, I guess I just really liked, and again, like, a lot has changed uh, in terms of what you can pick uh, across the board because of mainly changes to what people are focusing on in the bot lane. And then the top lane, bot lane specifically is really interesting because uh, we see things being focused on in China, like the Jin that uh, other regions aren't picking up yet. Um, but I liked, uh, I, I did like the way they played around Senna. I loved the self-made Evelyn. I thought that was great. Um, I, I, I feel like people are going to disagree with that, but I really liked it. Um, they found a, a pick for Nemesis in, in the counter matchup with the Azir Lucian, which isn't always something that works out for every team. Uh, you know, we saw it not work out as well for Golden Guardians, for example, but that ended up being really, really good for Fnatic. And I think some of their issues have been, you know, getting Nemesis on something that he can really uh, kind of pop off on. Um, and they did in this series. And so I, I think, again, like a lot of these initial playoff games for me come down to how each team is reading the meta and, and what, they're, uh, what they do end up picking. Um, and I did appreciate what Fnatic did in the series. I do think if they're going to play that Kogma poke again, they do need to execute it a bit better if they're going to be going up against, say, G2, who they've, you know, historically had trouble uh, besting in the past few years. So um, I think that's also something to consider when you look at Fnatic going down the road. But they definitely put themselves in a really good position to uh, to hopefully make it to that uh like top three spots so they don't have to go through the the play-in. Although, again, uh, not to get on a tangent, there is an argument that play-in actually really helps teams, uh, especially acclimate to the world's meta. So, they're, They've actually qualified for worlds and they're not going to the play-in stage. So they are directly... Oh, they did pass the play-in yeah, stage. No, that's, yeah, I, yeah, I just yeah. wanted to correct myself. Yeah. It's actually okay, Fnatic against G2 they, in the yeah. winner's semifinals right, cool. and Mad Lions are playing Shelf. So okay, never mind. Forget that then. Stage. It'll Good. be either Mad Lions or Schalke going through into the uh, depths, or the de most. It will, be, it will be. It will be Mad. It will be the Lions. winner of Mad Lions and Rogue, or the winner of Mad Lions Schalke. and Schalke, and then the winner of that plays Rogue. The loser of that match then will be in the play-in, because that will be the fourth place team in Europe. No, that's the way it works. But yeah, guaranteed, guaranteed is Rogue because Rogue can get no lower than fourth. That is yeah. why they are auto qualified. So they are in what will be the fourth place so, loser is fourth place match. So let's yeah. talk about that. Okay, so so just to recap here, forget what I said earlier. Fnatic will be playing G2 in the winner's semifinals. They are both qualified. Mad Lions and Schalke will fight it out for the last world spot in the LEC. The winner of that will face Rogue. The winner of that match, like Jacob said, Rogue versus the winner of Mad Lions and Schalke, that team will be fourth place in the LEC playoffs and they will go no, to the loser playoffs. of that match will be the loser. Sorry. The yes, loser, the winner will move place. on to the yes. top three. Now Rogue here's the thing. Top four, yeah. Here's the thing. Rogue has qualified for uh, Worlds by virtue of being first place in the LEC summer split regular season. They have done so by possibly, if they lose their next match, not winning a single series in the postseason, which is kind of interesting if you think about it, Jacob. The fact that you have a team qualifying for Worlds and they lost 3-0 to Fnatic too, so they could possibly go 6-0. I mean, that's unlikely 
based on their regular season, but there is a world where they qualify for worlds having gone 0 and 6 in their own postseason. Yeah, I mean, I think that this LEC format was thought up when there were less than four slots available for China and Europe in in Worlds, right? Like, I think the LEC playoff format was determined before the Worlds 2020 format was determined, meaning that I think that it was still thought that only three teams from Europe would go to Worlds, right? And then that this has had to change. Like, now we're in a position where if you get first... And also, it's, like, kind of unlikely for a team to get first place in the regular season... We're in, and I and I and I would argue Rogue would probably not be first place in in the regular season if not for COVID, right? Because then they would have had to be offline. There's a lot more pressure. People play differently on land, right? Like there's so many like there's a confluence of circumstances that are very abnormal for this to happen, right? But they are guaranteed to make to make it in. Um, they can be no lower than fourth, which means like even if they lose this next series, they'll be at the world's playing. Um, to me, like it, it's it's kind of just baffling, right? Like it, it's. I understand. I don't disagree that Europe deserves four slots because uh, Europe has been such a dominant powerhouse at the past two world championships, right? Like they are way more relevant than North America and Korea in the past two worlds. Um, but nonetheless, like here we are, uh, a team, a team cannot win a single series and end up at worlds. And I think rogues had a great split. I've always questioned. I said this over the weekend on Twitter. I've said this on the show said this on our pretenders uh, pretenders contenders thing like mad lions and and rogue i've always had the question of how will these teams perform when the pressure's on and so far the answer to that in this playoff has been not well um but you know for rogue like because of their regular season performance they're guaranteed no lower than fourth and we'll be at worlds so i don't know i'm torn about it i think that they deserve to be there but i also uh yeah i also think that like the formats don't match up I'll play devil, a devil's advocate here. I'll say they deserve it. I know I'm a rogue fanboy. I know I've been <laughs> often the uh, proponent of the rogue uh, legion, even the, when they aren't playing as well. But I do think I, I online taking online out of the matter that we couldn't have predicted that we would be in an entirely online league for the summer split. But I do think regular season should matter. I do think having a very good regular season, if you get number one in the regular season of your of your season, you're playing 18 games. I guess it would be more in you know South Korea or China where you're playing best of threes and not just best of ones. But I do think that having a great regular season like success should be enough more often than not to show that you are worthy to play at the World Championships. Obviously, best of fives do matter. Best of fives do matter, but that is in when we get to the knockout stage of the World Championships. In the group stage, it's very similar to what you'll see in the LEC and LCS with best of ones, where it's a lot more of taking that one game at a time approach. So, yes, I do want to see Rogue actually win a best of five in the playoffs to kind of show that they've earned their spot at the World Championships. But when there's four seeds allotted to the European region, I don't mind that the number one seed in the regular season of a three-month odyssey who finishes number one outright to get to spot worlds. I don't mind, you know, rewarding regular season success over, you know, having a very good weekend or two of playoffs. I can't believe I'm about to say this because China historically has had some scuffed playoff formats. Um, But I think they probably have the most even uh, playoff format in terms of like a split between 
spring and summer championship points. I like that they wait uh, summer a lot more. Um, my thing with Rogue is that I don't think there ever should be, like, not to take away from their regular season achievements, but as you can see from the sign behind me, the regular season is seeding for the postseason. Um, I think I don't think there should be a world where your regular season performance automatically qualifies you for a world championship tournament without having to go through some sort of playoff victory. Um, I, I, I can't say like why I feel that way in my gut. I just think that because League of Legends, again, like we had um, some pretty interesting meta shifts right before the playoffs started um, that I think you really had to pay attention to if you want to be successful in these playoffs. And I think that uh, like it, that's, that's actually really important for Worlds qualification. Um, so I don't disagree that like, uh, like in terms of like Rogue deserving to be here, uh, I think they're a good enough team to qualify as one of the four, but I don't think there should be a world where your regular season performance automatically qualifies you for a world championship tournament, unless it is a world circuit where you have multiple teams competing against each other from different regions. Bring back the regional final, bring back the regional final. I like, yeah. I get, I get, uh, so I get from a, I get from a time perspective, right? Like playoffs end in what, like two weeks, right? Like yeah, this way weekend and next weekend, then we're done. And then we're like, these teams have to be ready and to go, or at least the fourth place team has to be ready uh, for Europe has to be ready and to go and play in China on September 25th. That is a huge turnaround in the middle of a global pandemic. You got to get there. You got to get all set up everything, right? Like that sucks. I would not want to be the fourth place team in Europe in that situation. Cause that sucks to like do that, that time zone change, do all that travel, go through all the hurdles, right? Like this is why they've been working on visas for the last month and a half or whatever, uh, to try to get all that fixed. So this is not a big issue for all the teams in the LEC. Um, but nonetheless, like I wish things were different and we had the regional final back because that would be better to qualify the fourth team, in my opinion. Maybe the third and fourth team, that only two qualify via playoffs, top two in playoffs qualify, and then two people qualify in regional final. I like the regional finals. I, I like, you can, I, I think the whole, like, spring split being useless thing is also stupid, um, but, uh, it, as it is in the LCS, but I like that the fact that the regional final used to exist. I don't like that it doesn't exist now, because I think that, to Emily's point, you play enough series that, like, if there was a regional final, you would, you would have to push through it to get to Worlds. There you go. Right, like it fixes this problem. Bring and it back. If we, and if we did have a regional final, we would not have the matchup that we will see on Friday be the determinants for the fourth and final team going to Worlds from the LEC. That is Mad Lions taking on Schalke. That is happening on Friday. That is going to be, I believe it is a 12 p.m. Eastern start. Uh, so bright, uh, nice lunchtime viewing there at least if you're in eastern time uh, for mad lions and shalke shalke we all know the story they haven't lost since july 18th it's been a month of force and in fact the last time they lost they lost against sk they've indicated that with a 3-0 sweep moving into this matchup against mad lions seriously looking at these two teams objectively which team has the edge on paper which team has the edge today momentum wise going into this matchup tyler what do you think well i think that's a very I think uh, we can all agree on this. I think the team on paper who looks better is obviously Mad Lions. They've had the the resume of two seasons where they've looked quite good. They've been G2 in playoffs. They've had an incredible regular season this time around. 
But when it comes to the narrative, when it comes to the momentum, it's really hard to bet against Schalke. And I know we, we talk about God Gilius and God Gilius that and how he's going <laughs> to smite all these other pretending junglers at the World Championship. But it's all it's 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 a lot of a team effort. It's also coming down to Abig Dage, Faker Dage. Like like he has been so good. Yeah. And I remember when he first became a rookie about a year ago, there was all the time about Larson. There was all this talk about these new mid laners. It was about Nemesis. It was about all of this young talent. Abid Dage just kind of was lagging behind. He, I remember there was a lot of talk of like why like he looks so weak compared to like all these new age mid laners coming out of you know the European regional scene of the European master scene, and they trusted in him and they believed in Abid Dage. And now he is playing the best League of Legends career by far. And now Schalke is in a position where they can pull off this miracle one last time to overcome Mad Lions and to get to world to get to the world championship. It's it's really disheartening though, right? Like you would love to see both of these teams make it to the world. It feels like Mad Lions deserves it, right? It feels like they've deserved it where they've earned the right to go to the world championships from how well they've played the entire year, how exciting they've been, how they've worked together as a team to improve as we've gone along throughout the year. But then you have Schalke who's put who's put around this one month of concentrated brilliance of, you know, about eight months of forgettable nonsense, but that one month of concentrated brilliance, is that enough to defeat a whole year of great, consistent results? I don't know. I don't know who I'm even pulling for, because I do think if you're a European fan, if you're just a blind European optimist, and do you want to see the LEC do well at Worlds? I would pick Mad Lions, because... As Jacob said, if you're a Schalke and you win, you are turning right around. You're going to China. The momentum that you've had for the last month in your training center, it all falls apart, right? You have to start again. You have to go to the world's bubble. You have to go quarantine. You have to get ready for the planes. It it, it takes away from that month of just brilliance they've had, where I think in, in a if you're going to pick one team overall to represent Europe at Worlds, you'd want Mad Lions. But it's hard to say you don't want to see Schalke at Worlds because They've shown us in this last month that they are they're beating every odd imaginable. So let's say they throw them out worlds. What else can they do? They're playing of house money. That's kind of the fun thing about uh, Schalke is that weirdly enough, the rookie team Mad Lions, where we'd often be like, "Oh yeah, if they lose, it's fine. It's totally fine. They're a team of rookies outside of humanoid. Like they're gonna be totally fine." But the pressure's on Mad Lions. Schalke just making the playoffs was a great achievement. It was a miracle. It's something that will not be forgotten in years of League of Legends lore. But all the pressures on Mad Lions, this, this rookie team, this very young team that are now having to face God Gilius, Faker Dage, and the rest of this Schalke playing the, the, the League of Legends for life. So it's going to be a fun series. This is a, a this is a, a basically a regional final. I wish both teams could win. But it's going to be one where we're going to have a really fun story going to Worlds with whoever gets out of this this matchup, this do or die matchup. I'm super curious to see what the draft is going to be actually between these two teams because if you look at the way Schalke played, um, and and again they were one of they were you know the first team to kind of step onto the Elise playoff stage. Um, they picked these like jungle carry comps basically with Senna Bot that then Mad Lions picked and lost to G2 with. Um, so I think it's going to be really interesting how both of these teams end up playing around their junglers, especially when you can lock in 
uh, Jungle Carry like that. Uh, I think it's actually really great for the way that Schalke kind of got here in terms of how they like to play around Gilius. Um, whereas I think for Mad Lions, I I prefer, and again, like this isn't a um, this isn't a like they must play this, but like I prefer when they put Karzi on more of a standard carry. Um, and have Shadow being on something like, yes, I know he's known for Lee Sin, but there are a lot of champions that can do this in terms of how he affects lanes. Um, I think that is actually the most interesting thing about this matchup. I'm still like edging towards Mad Lions, but I think it's going to be a really interesting series based on how both of these teams approach their first playoff series and what they ended up drafting. Because again, that first, if you compare, um, I believe it was Mad Lions' first draft to Chalke's first draft, they're like eerily similar. And while we're on the topic of LEC, right, like, I do want to give a little bit of props to Nemesis also. He has not been mentioned here, but, like, that was, this past weekend series was, like, the best I have seen Nemesis play. I mentioned Nemesis. They put, they put him on the Lucian. Yeah, they found they found a pick for him. But I don't even think it was just, like, Lucian. Like, I get that he had to play other things and, like, it wasn't the same, but, like, dude actually looked like he means to be on this team. Mm. And, and like, he was one at him and, like, Hillisong and Blippo occasionally uh, have not had very good years on Fnatic. This has been the like the reckless, uh, the reckless and self-made show, right? Like those are the two guys that like prop this team up. And reckless has really been the only consistent one on Fnatic for the, the majority of the year. Self-made is really good, but it's not. It doesn't happen all the time. Whereas like Re- reckless made all pro because he deserves it, right? Like he was, he's had a pretty solid year. Um, but Nemesis actually was pretty phenomenal I, I, like i was a little blown away by how well he's playing because i like i was very down on him throughout the majority of the season i know we haven't talked a lot about fanatic on the show the past few months but like yeah to me like I, I was super down on on nemesis and i was hoping that fanatic would maybe make a change but like yeah he looks fine he looks good I, I hope that like throughout the rest of these playoffs and as we move into worlds that like it's not just illusion because that's gonna get really stale really quick and people are just gonna ban it out um, but nonetheless, like, yeah, hats off to Nemesis. We're going to talk about Fnatic a lot. We're going to talk about Fnatic a lot, uh, moving forward since of course they have qualified for worlds to end the LEC segment, because I want to move on to the LCS earlier in a, in a previous episode of Riff Rewind, we did a contenders or pretenders for Rogue and Mad Lions really quick around the horn. If you were to categorize Rogue and Mad Lions as contenders or pretenders right now with only one of them qualified for worlds. How would you do that? Emily, let's start with you. I mean, I have to pick one or like, I, I, I think that Mad Lions had a, again, like even though they lost to G2, I think they had a better read on what they wanted to do and the current playoff meta um, from what I saw. Um, that can change. Like, obviously, these are the first playoff series. So for me, in terms of contender, pretender, it's how do they both, come back in their second series what do their drafts look like and how do they want to play because i think if i'm just comparing like how both teams played rogue looked a little bit more lost than mad lions like mad lions got outplayed but i think they still had an okay understanding of what they wanted to do um again like i might disagree with uh putting like Carzy on center or something and and not putting them on a more standard carry but like that is a that is a team choice, and I don't think they looked terrible with it. Um, so I have a little bit more, and maybe this is just because again I've been the the resident like Mad Lions stan on this staff. Um, 
But like I, I, I do think that Mad Lions have the creativity and, and the ability to bounce back. Um, so and I'm I'm curious to see how both teams do in their series. I do think Mad Lions still looked a bit more comfortable with what they were playing than Rogue did. Um, if I'm comparing both of their ser- uh, initial series. Yeah, I, I hate to say it, but like after this past weekend and watching those games, like I feel like they're both pretenders. Um, and, and I like a left turn. I had, I had Wait, been I thought, really. I thought we had to pick one as one and the uh, other. You could have taken everyone, I guess. <laughs> That's what I did last time, and I was very sad to say that Mad Lions was the pretender and Rogue was the contender. But like, I'm not feeling too high on either right now. In terms of, again, like I said earlier in the show, when push comes to shove, can these teams show up? The answer to that question for me right now is no. They cannot. And and I like we'll see this weekend for Mad Lions, but like. For Rogue, like, yeah, they're going to go to Worlds. And, like, if they're if they're in play-ins, like, I, I think they'll make it through. I'd be stunned if they didn't, unless they got matched up against whatever uh, North American or Korean team is in there and, and actually could beat them. Um, depends on their, their matchup. But, like, play-ins should be a shoe-in for them. I, I, I don't think they're, like, considerably worse than any, any wildcard team, right? But, nonetheless... Uh, I am not so high on Rogue or Mad Lions at this point. Um, and you know, I think if we're if Europe Europe's best shot right now for the World Championship looks like it will be uh probably be G two again. Let's move on to the LCS. You're watching Rift Rewind, our weekly ESPN Esports League of Legends program, and this is the time of the uh show where we would be talking about cloud nine and their dominance over league of legends and both splits and how they easily qualified for worlds and maybe c9 would even be a world's finalist forget group stage plaza or top eight village tyler or even top four palace but here we are FlyQuest having dismantled them in their playoff matchup, and now C9 are going to have to fight for their worlds and playoff lives, while FlyQuest have now moved on in the LCS playoffs and qualified for world's contention. How, how surprising is this to you? It's surprising that they beat Cloud9. I don't think it's overall surprising that they made the World Championships. I think a lot of people would have pegged them as the third best team in North America, they made it to the finals of last uh, split's finals, losing to Cloud9 there. I think the surprise is they beat Cloud9. I think everyone, including everyone on the staff, believed Cloud9 was just going to run away with the summer split, even when they've looked a bit, you know, uh, uh, you know, a bit questionable at times. This split with some of their, uh, you know, picks and trying to be, you know, step outside of the meta, try to create their own thing, try to kind of experiment going to the World Championship, and now they've got to a point where their experimentation has kind of had them mess, miss kind of what, on the, what the meta is. We've seen so much Yumi out of Vulcan when it's so frustrating to see such a great player on that, you know, that, that champion where you want him more of a playmaking style, you know, champion to get his team going. And I think FlyQuest is a team, as a North American, you know, fan, reporter, someone who wants to see North America succeed, I'm not going to lie and be unbiased here and say, that I don't want to see the LCS send teams to the quarterfinals. I, I want to see an NA team make a run and actually prove that they are worthy of winning a world championship one of these years. Is FlyQuest that team? I don't think so. I don't think they're a team that has, you know, Summoner's Cup aspirations. 
But I do think this is a very solid team. They're a very experienced team. This is a team that I don't think is going to be surprised by a lot of things they see in China. I mean, for two of them, Ignore and Power of Evil, maybe their most famous match was in China. I was there in Guangzhou, China for the quarterfinals of the 2017 World Championships when they lost to SKT in one of the most famous best of fives of all time, where they pushed SKT to the limit and almost beat them to make the semifinals. So I said coming, I, I've, I've tweeted about this a lot, where we have Knight qualified, we have Yigao qualified, we have Caps qualified. We, we're most likely going to have people like, you know, BDD, Chovy, Showmaker, Closer, Faker, those godly mids are all going to be there. And if you want to be a team that even has a chance, a sliver of a chance to make the quarterfinals, you need to have a mid laner that you can be confident that won't be run over by these godly mids. And I don't think people are going to be putting Power of Evil up there with the Knights and the Yagaos and the, uh, you know, Showmakers and Capses of the world. But he's a very, very, very good mid laner, and he's very underrated. He has been consistently great the last three years he's been in North America. And I've said this on Twitter, and, I, and I'll say it again, that when he came over from Europe, a lot of people were saying he came here for a quick buck. He was only here for the money. He's going to leave like a lot of other Europeans do after their first contract. But in these last three years, he's been the, one of the most utmost professional players I've seen. He's gone to team to team. I've never heard any a bad word about him. Tristan has been one of the better mid laners in the league outside of, you know, the 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 Bergson Jensen uh, ongoing rivalry that's gonna go on for on bad organizations before the on season bad, by on bad organizations, but like mind you. Yeah, so I just want to give a shout out to Power of Evil and the FlyQuest staff overall. I think they're a team that's gonna go to the group stages, probably go two and four you know, three and three at best, but I do think they're a team that's not going to be surprised. And they are very, they're a team that with Ignar, if Ignar gets his picks, if Ignar finds holes, he is a player that can disrupt teams that are more or better than FlyQuest are. He is a player that can open up the map with his roams. And we saw it a few years ago in China where Misfits with Power of Evil, they weren't expected to make it out of groups. You know, they beat TSM twice. One, uh, they beat them in the group stage, then in a tiebreaker, eliminating them from the world championships, whatever and thought, you know, TSM was going to do something that year. So I would not I would not say FlyQuest has no chance of Worlds. I think they have an outside shot of being a dark horse to make a quarterfinals run. But I'm excited to see them there. I think they're a very solid team. And I think they have a lot of upside that some of the other North American contenders don't. Yeah, I, I mean, I was surprised by the C9 win, albeit C9 looks kind of lost the past uh, few few weeks, really. Um, but nonetheless, like, I, I'm happy for FlyQuest. I'm happy for the organization. I'm particularly happy for players like Solo uh, who and Santorin, who don't really get the credit that they deserve, in my opinion. I think that both of those players are really good. And, like, Solo went to Worlds last year. But as as a backup, but yeah, I went to Worlds last year if I'm not mistaken with Clutch, right? Like he's he's been a part of organizations before where he he's done fine. And I like I don't know. Uh, to me, uh to me, like those two guys don't get a lot of love. Santorin is a fantastic jungler. I think a lot of people have been down on him for a long part a long part of his career since after what happened at TSM. And that's not his fault. Like what happened at TSM, in my opinion, is what happens to every jungler in TSM? You see it happening in the speaker right now. It's hard to play in an environment like that. 
not saying that TSM is like particularly toxic. I don't think that that's the case right now, but the fans can be, and, and they like always blame the jungler. If you're the jungler at TSM, you get the most flack out of everybody. And that's not like, that's really bad for your mental health, right? Like, and not everybody can withstand that. And I think that a lot of people have been really low on Santorin since he, he played for TSM all those years ago. And now, like, now to see him doing well, like, I, I am happy for him. I'm happy that his team is doing well. Because I think he's a really hardworking player, uh, and definitely like a rare breed in NA in that regard. So, well, one jungler that's doing quite well is Broxa and Team Liquid are booked at Worlds, and it's funny to look at the LCS summer standings from the regular season, right, Emily? Because it sort of looks like if you look at the final standings of the regular season, it kind of looks in and around. Maybe you'd swap out a couple teams here and there. But this is sort of how we would have predicted the spring split to go before it started. Right? Like the way we were talking about Team Liquid, the way we were talking about Cloud9. We we thought that those would be the top two teams and then the other teams would sort of, maybe not Immortals at the very bottom, but it seems as though like the summer was how we would have expected the LCS to go in the spring. But here we are, Team Liquid qualify. What do you what do you attribute that to the most? Is it tactical? Is it is it the coaching staff? Like, what is it about this team that has been such an impressive turnaround? Like, especially talking to Broxa uh, after they got the the first seed. I think they're playing a style that definitely wins in North America. Um, I've said this before. I think they need to be a lot tighter on that style if they're going to win with it internationally. Because it basically requires, uh, you know, at a lot of points, losing gracefully until you can 5v5. Um, and that's not always a great strategy if you don't know how to do that, if you give up too many advantages. Um, I think that this is a really good meta for TL, actually, and the way they want to play. Um, mainly because uh, there are a lot of champions in the top lane that are like really good for impact, particularly the Shen, um, which is kind of the one champion I'm sad LPL hasn't picked up. Uh, but I think it's a really good top lane meta for him, which gives the rest of the team a lot of opportunities. I think a lot of the bot lane picks have been really good because of how the support really dictates uh, the pace of the lane. And core JJ is just a phenomenal support. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think that it's like to compare this TL team to the spring TL team is a bit is a bit specious because it's a completely different team, and I think they kind of want to do different things, especially with, uh, you know, tactical the tactical core JJ bot lane. But I still think that uh, I mean, it's uh, the the current meta right now. I think is unless there are some drastic changes that we see, um, is a pretty good one for this TL team and, and how they want to play. Uh, I think the big thing is, you know, they go to Worlds and I think they have to, you know, massively tighten up this playstyle. I think this is, a, this is a playstyle that wins in North America because of how many mistakes that teams make. Like, I'm not trying to be mean, but... It is, and I think that a lot of these faster-paced uh, Chinese teams specifically 
um, will will be able to pick that apart pretty quickly, especially when they have um, a lot of really strong tops and mids. Uh, So that is something that I'm kind of concerned about for TL um, because I think they've really found their stride playing this style and I think they like it um, and I think they've had a lot of success with it. Uh, So, I mean, I'm I'm really curious to see how they do against non-NA teams. But in terms of like winning in NA, they've by far looked like the most cohesive team. They've looked like they know exactly how they want to play which is good, you know, like I'm knocking their play style, but I'm happy that they have a play style and I'm happy that they've stuck with it and it's worked for them. I feel a lot about this TL team like I did last TL team. I was not, TL TL last year's uh, when they went to Worlds, TL's team last year was a cut above a lot of the North American competition, but like I wasn't like stoked for them to go to Worlds. My expectations were not that they were going to qualify for quarterfinals. The difference is, is they've traded a passive jungler for an aggressive jungler and a aggressive AD carry for a more passive AD carry. And in the case of tactical, like double lift is a lot more aggressive than tactical. Whereas I think core is core, like dictates that play style of the bot lane, but like Xmithy was a lot more passive than Broxa is. And so I think that overall, when you look at this team, like my expectations aren't super high for liquid. So I don't know. Like I'm, I'm glad they're going. Emily, I think they'll be a good, good representation. But yeah, Emily, I'm happy to argue this. Emily, one. I, I see that look on I'm your face. Fine. and unmute your I, mic. Uh, no, I, I didn't want to interrupt Jacob, so I mouthed it. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to be paying attention to all the faces I make. I disagree with that a bit. That Broxa, I think Broxa could be a lot more aggressive. Actually, I think he could be in his lanes a lot, uh, a lot more, um, especially based on how we kind of saw him. Play with Fnatic, which was obviously very one-sided towards one of the map. Like, he would basically pick one side or the other side, and he would, like, gank over and over for Whippo, or he'd gank over and over for Reckless. And that was actually something I was super curious about, whether he would continue. And coming to North America, and it really seems like he doesn't interact with many of his lanes at all. When I was looking at this TL team, what I was really, really hoping for Jensen specifically is that he would find a jungler where he just clicks with, right? Like, where it's just... Man, like, I've never seen Jensen have that. Like, I think Jensen is actually really good. I don't think NA gives him enough credit for how good he is. Um, But I've never, ever seen him, like, click immediately with a jungler and have that, like, insane mid-jungle synergy that we see out of some of these LEC teams that we certainly see in Korea and China um, with some of these mid-jungle combos, uh, even in losses, like Pina and and Shie look like amazing together, right? Like, so I think I think it's really interesting uh, that you classify Broxa as like a super aggressive jungler because I don't think he like maybe he had that reputation for being in lanes a lot in Europe, but I don't think we've necessarily seen that. And again, I'm not saying it's like super good or super bad. I just don't think we've seen that out of this TL team this year. Yeah. yeah before and, we, oh, go ahead, Tyler. I was about to say. 2018 World Championships, Gen G. That was the World Championships 2018. The group of Vitality, Cloud9, RNG, and Gen G was the day that the counter, the counter attacking, the counter punching, the traditional Korean style died. And I, we were there. Me and Emily were both there. We watched as Gen G fell apart over that course of a week. As they, as the World Champions, the the best team in the world coming in 
you know, very, they were favored to be one of the better teams in the tournament. Them and RNG were both favored to go deep in the tournament. They come in with the traditional South Korean counter punching style. You know, they play around ruler, they play that late game style, and they got punched in the mouth. And since that day, we've seen a deviation from that style. And we have now, you know, two years later, every team is trying to get as far away from playing that traditional old school counter attacking, you know, playing for another team to make errors, you know, style. It's gone away. Even Gen G themselves have tried to get away from that style as playing a much more proactive early game with, you know, three very strong lanes that can just crush and snowball. And Team Liquid is playing the Gen G style of 2018, just not as well. They don't have ruler. I love tactical. I've been on the tactical train the entire split. And I was correct that they would go to Group Stage Plaza. But alas, <laughs> they are it's he's not ruler and you know this team isn't gen g they they don't have the cohesion of a gen g broxa for how much i love him he's not as good of a you know a farming jungler as ambition who could lead a team and play that style and even that perfected style still got stomped out by you know a vitality and a cloud nine so i agree with emily where Yes, I would love to see that aggressive Brox. I would love to see Fnatic Brockta, who was one of the reasons why, you know, that style of the counter-punching style died in the first place of how aggressive Fnatic was during that tournament, where Fnatic and IG, all they did was fight, fight, fight the entire tournament. But now he's on Team Liquid, and he's kind of accepted the fact, or it seems like he's accepted the fact that he's in North America. You know, you can play this very counter-punchy style and still win trophies here, and he's not forced to play more aggressive. But when they go to the World Championship, if they try to play this 2018 Gen G traditional South Korean style, they're going to get punched in the mouth very early and very often. And I don't think it comes down to the talent because I do think Impact, Jensen, Broxa, Core JJ, those four players are good enough to make a quarterfinal. And I do think Tactical has the potential to be a player that rises to the occasion, but the style they have now is not going to fly at Worlds. And as we've mentioned they only have one month to fix it and they're only gonna have a few weeks to play with these chinese korean european teams in the bubble if they can change it if they can do the 2018 cloud nine where they flip on the flight where they change their style on the fly where they see the meta they catch on to the meta and they can play that more aggressive style team liquid could surprise a lot of people at mm. worlds but do i trust them to do that and i've trusted many north american teams in the past to adapt on the fly and we've only seen usually cloud nine be that team we have a new coach in jet he's a very smart man i really do like the team liquid infrastructure and the staff they have the players to do it i don't know though if they are going to change their entire style that they've perfected over a year it's a lot to ask from a team don't ask don't answer this question yet let me set the table first which team would you trust at worlds more this year c9 or TSM. Let it ruminate in your brain. <laughs> Let it think in your brain for just a second before you answer here. But we got a big we got a big matchup here. And what I mean is this is a this is not a matchup with these circumstances that we would have expected at all. I think I can speak for many people when I say this is not where we would have expected uh, at least C9 to be. TSM may be scraping through, getting into this loser's bracket run, and here they are, possibly in an opportunity to eliminate C9, the creme de la creme for much of the season. And you have these storylines of C9, the new kings in town, TSM, much of the old guard, Bjergsen, double lift, back together again, 
and looking to reclaim some glory. And the way that they've played this offseason, many people would even say that maybe they were very lucky to have defeated Golden Gardens, especially the way that first game went. So with all the storylines in place and with everything that is on the line, let us give a little bit of discussion here and preview C9 versus TSM, where one of these two teams will be booking their ticket to Worlds. Yeah. Jacob, when you think about this, let's start with you here. With Take it any way you want. I want to get uh, comments from all of you on this. C9 versus TSM, what pops in your mind first? I am not sold on the bot lane of TSM at this point. I think that they're... Are many people like our our friend Jackie Love who would run them over, um, and I, I some of the European bot lanes also. Um, I am not like this TSM team. Ugh. It, it was <laughs> it was painful to watch. It was painful to watch the GG TSM series because it should have been GGs if not for like a few throws, like the one around Baron where they like killed everybody at TSM and then decided that they were going to overextend and or they got the Baron. And then they decided that they were going to overextend for kills and then got wiped, right? Like, that should have... GG should have been qualified out, like, if not for their own mistakes. The the TSM... Uh, TSM team, like, leaves so much to be desired, in my opinion. Like, and... Yeah, like, I, I don't trust that team to do well at Worlds. At least with C9, like, even when they aren't the best team in North America coming out of playoffs, like, we've seen them make deep runs at Worlds. Like, the 2018 run, where they weren't the best team in North America, Liquid was, and then they went on to be third, third fourth in, in the playoffs, right? Like, they went all the way to the semis um, and ended up losing, uh, but nonetheless, like, playing quite well uh, all the way up till that point. So, to me, like, I don't trust the TSM team. But also, something we need to talk about is that if they don't make it, this will be their third year in a row not qualifying for the World Championship. And that feels like it's going to send off some very nuclear vibes throughout that organization to do something big and hot in the offseason. Um, and I don't know if that's nuke everyone except Bjergsen or what, but like uh, something's a coming if, uh, if C9 is, qualifies out and TSM doesn't. Now listen, I know about the whole equity thing, and it would be silly for Bjergsen to even ever consider leaving TSM. But chat seems to think that that's an option. <laughs> I, I I don't no, think that, that's giving up his. He has, yeah, he has to give it up. He has to yeah. give up his equity if he goes to another team. That is the way the rules work. Yeah. You cannot you cannot be an owner of one team and play on another. So what, what team yeah. would give him a guaranteed shot? Like it, the only reason he would leave TSM is to win worlds. If he can go to a team that can guarantee him a spot of going to the world championship. And I can't think of a team in North America unless, you know, I just can't think of a team that could give if, him that. If he was going to change teams, it would have been this past season before he signed yeah. the big contract and got the equity. I mean, he, I'm, he, would, I'm, he was the hottest. Here's the thing. He was the hottest free agent in the entire 2019 offseason on the books before months before. And just before, instead of testing the market, he yeah. decided to sign a big contract with TSM. He signed a month in advance. No one could even talk to him. So, like, his decision, like, mm -hmm. to me, that was, like, he's a TSM guy forever. He will have equity in that organization. When he's done, he can go, he can either stay in the U.S. and become a permanent resident, or he can go back to, uh, go back to Europe and live a happy life, making lots of money, streaming, doing whatever the heck he wants to do. Like, you know, it's choose your own destiny at this point if you're Bjergsen, and, and you're going to be a millionaire for, like, from a, a network perspective, because he owns that part of TSM, like, he's going to be a millionaire for the rest of his life, presumably, if esports goes all well and set, right? Because I think TSM will continue to be on top as a brand. So, yeah, like, he'd be very dumb to leave, e even if they don't make Worlds. I, so I just don't see it. Emily, your thoughts on this matchup? 
Um, I mean, I think that we saw better adjustments from C9 in their second series than we did from TSM, regardless of their roster swaps. I actually like, uh, I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but I, I actually do think despite like some very visible mistakes that Biofrost uh, as an individual did perform better than Treats uh, in his series. Um, I think that C9, when they played EG, you saw a lot of shifting in their draft priorities. They did not rely on Ezreal Yumi every single game, which was very nice for me as a viewer, but also something that I think they should continue doing. Um, I see Tyler laughing. Uh, I think, like, uh, if I'm looking at these two teams, I think that uh, I saw better adjustments from their first series to their second series from C9 than I did from TSM. And now if you're asking me who I have more faith in going to a world stage, qualifying as a North American team, I still have a lot more faith in this C9 team. I've been saying all year the most frustrating thing was that this team could not go and play against better teams because they were stuck in North America. And I stand by that despite their like end of season struggles. I do think that if this team does go to Worlds, if they are able to scrim against better teams, they should be able to improve with the talent that they have on this roster. Um, so I, I did like their I like their adjustments. Um, I think that they had uh, better better adjustments and looked better in their second series. You can also say that maybe that's because GGS are a better team than EG right now. Um, but I, I so like that's also something to consider. But I do think that I C9 looked better in their second series than TSM did, and I think a lot of people came away from that TSM series thinking if this team makes worlds like we are in trouble because you know again their their bot lane is underperforming um i think uh broken blade had some really good games he had some like not awful games but just kind of like mediocre showings um i think that if this team goes to worlds they have a lot more to do than if C9 qualifies for Worlds in terms of, you know, a lot of the things they have to fix and uh, the, I guess, like, I hate to use the word potential, but, like, the ability for their their players to learn from other teams from other regions. I think that that is a lot higher for this C9 team than it is for this TSM team. Arna, no, that. let me set the stage for you. The other European, you know, qualifier match, Schalke versus Mad Lions. Whoever wins that, whoever loses that, I feel like any t whatever team loses, they can leave with their head held high. You know, Schalke, they had the miracle run. Making the playoffs was good enough. Mad Lions, they're a rookie team. Great first year. They beat G2 in playoffs once. They had, you know, they, they built up a fan base. The rookies will be better in 2021. Neither C9 or TSM can afford to lose this match. One of them will, but one of them can't afford to lose this match. TSM spent a lot of money, a lot of social capital as well, with their fan base and the overall League of Legends fan base of bringing Doublelift. It was a lot to get him here, and the reason why they got him was to go to Worlds. Anything but would be a complete and utter failure. They believed in Speaker, they put Speaker in this position, they believe that this is the team that they put together telling the fans, 
We know you're yelling. We know you're mad. We know you're fanatical. You know, keep Kabe, leave Kabe. We believe in double lift. This is the team that we think is going to do the best. And if they don't make Worlds, it's a failure. And they're going to lose a lot from it by just getting double lift. What's double his future with TSM? Do you want to keep him after, you know, assembling this roster and it failing? It's not something they can afford to do is to lose this match. And for Cloud9, they spent over a million dollars to buy up Vulcan. They've spent so much money on this roster. An entire year of pretty much saying, we are the best team in North America, and none of these teams can even touch us in scrims. We've had so many interviews where Licorice and Niski and Blabber and Sven were talking about how far ahead they are of everyone in North America. And if they lose to their rival, TSM, with a makeshift roster that they built halfway throughout the year, and they lose in the playoffs, going one and two, and failing to make Worlds after winning their first title in seven years, it will be an embarrassment. They can't afford to lose this series. Neither one of these teams can lose this weekend and leave with their head held high. Whoever loses is going to be trashed upon for the next four months in the offseason. This is a match where one team will, will escape make the World Championships and have maybe a hope of salvaging their season by doing well at Worlds, and they will have at least the satisfaction of putting down their rival. But whoever loses, it's going to be a very, very, very long offseason, and it's going to be a lot of torment, a lot of a lot of fans very upset, and I think Cloud9 should be favored, but with how they've been playing recently, it really is tough. It really is tough. And I know we talk a lot about Spika. I've talked about Spika on, on this podcast as well, but Spika's played very well so far in the playoffs. They've tried to enable him with the Nidalee pick, and it's worked out a lot. So I do think Cloud9 is favored, but neither of these teams can lose. They both have immense pressure on their shoulders in this best of five. And it's going to really come down to those small, minute details to see who can take that first map, who can get the momentum. And if it goes to a game five, it's going to come down to pure just madness and pure skill to see who can will their team to victory more. And I'm excited. It's going to be a big series. One of these teams is going to have the worst offseason ever, and one team is going to go to Worlds. So have fun with that, guys. A very storyline-rich matchup. Going down on Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern, one of those two teams, TSM and Cloud9, will be going to Worlds, and the other one will have a lot of time <laughs> to think about what went wrong. Speaking of the mid lane, we talked about Bjergsen a lot on this program in the last segment. Let's continue on with the mid lane conversation, which brings us to our last topic here on Rift Rewind. There is a battle going on in the mid lane for T1. Faker has been watching some games on the sideline recently, and the rookie closer has really been closing out a lot of games for T1, assisting T1 in many victories. Look no further than the game against Dragon X, where closer played game one. Faker came in to play game two, got an 0-4-4 KDA, the team lost. Closer came back in for Game 3, and T1 won the series. Optically, things don't look good right now at this moment in time based on most recent results for the legend himself, the unkillable Demon King. However, the legacy is there. 
Closer has been doing well so far. But let's talk about it now. Tyler, let's start with you. If you are the head coach of T1, what oh. do you do with your mid lane moving forward? All right. I'm Coach Kim. I'm Joe Marsh. I'm I'm in the brass room. I'm in the, the ownership room making this decision. Man, I love Faker, man. Yeah, everyone knows I love Faker, man. He's such a great guy. I've interviewed him so many times. He's such a nice guy. He's such a legend. He's the greatest of all time. He's the best. There's no one close to him in League of Legends lore. It's number one, and then there's 20,000 miles to number two. But I would start closer, and that hurts. It hurts my heart. It hurts It hurts me inside to say that, Arda. It hurts me to say that inside, Jacob and Emily. But if I'm starting the playoffs tonight, and it, or they are starting tonight versus Africa, best of three, that they need to win if they want to qualify for Worlds without going through the regional gauntlet, they have to start closer. And it's not necessarily Faker's fault. We, yes, optically, on paper, it does look really bad that Closer came in, they won. Brian Faker, they lost. Bring back Closer, they win. 2-1 versus Dragon X team with a very strong mid laner in Chovy. But that was a lot more down to A, it was a ranged versus melee matchup for Faker, so he was in a disadvantage. And B, effort inted like a madman in that game too, where they kept getting baited over and over and over. So many bad engages by Cuz and Effort, where yes, Faker's K today looked quite porous, but it was a lot more down to the team just not playing well Faker. And yes, that is one of the big reasons why you start with Closer, because for whatever reason, they are playing better around Closer. And he is giving you that edge, right? In 2015, the last time Faker was benched for a long, elongated period of time, it was because Easy Hoon was that stable player who could play the Mages. He could play the Azir. He could play the Zareth that Faker at the time couldn't play. He was much more of the assassin playing player. The, I'm going to pick a LeBlanc and just win this lane. And now, six years later, it's become the opposite, where Faker is the player that you trust in those, you know, very stable moments who you want to be who play that very safe style, where Closer is the player that you want on the Assassins. This is a Kali, is Aurelia, who he's famed for in solo queue. Like, he can play all of these very aggressive champions, and he brings much more of a different style to T1 that we've talked about all episode long. If you want to succeed at the World Championships in this day and age, you need to play a fast-paced style. And when Closer is in, T1 plays much, much faster, even with Cousin, who is known to be a much more patient jungler. So. I want Faker to succeed. I want Faker at Worlds. I want Faker to win his 10th domestic championship, then fly to Shanghai. And we see this god mid lane matchups of Caps and Showmaker and Knight and Faker. And Faker has to be there, right? But right now, there's no other question. Closer should be the starter of T1 because, quite simply, the players around him play better when Closer's in the lineup. And that really sucks. Are you sucks on Twitter, by the way? What? You said that teams that have qualified for, for Worlds follow you on Twitter. Did T1 finally follow you on Twitter? Because nope. they did not follow you on Twitter when you tweeted that. No, they have not followed me on Twitter. And, you know, well, maybe T1 do doesn't follow tonight. you on Twitter? It hurts. It of hurts. all teams in all of League of Legends, T1 uh, doesn't follow you. JD Gaming follows me on Twitter. You know what happened to JD Gaming? Qualified They're going to Worlds. Worlds. They're going to Worlds. <laughs> Team Liquid follows me on Twitter. You know what happened to Team Liquid? They're going to Worlds, so... I bet T1? T1 follows Emily, though. I'm going to guess T1 follows Emily. <laughs> they do not. No, I don't think they no, follow no they, don't, oh, they don't follow they don't anyone. Follow, okay, I'm, so the follow. Least, I'm the by far the least popular person here. Um, regarding the mid lane, though, one thing I want to bring up, 
is that one of Faker's most successful champions towards the end of 2015 was, in fact, Lulu. Um, And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because one of the things that I know um, I talked to him about, I'm sure you've also talked to him about this, Tyler, and he's done several interviews where he's talked about this in terms of how he did have to swap up his playstyle for the 2015 team, um, getting subbed out for Easy Hoon, learning how to play Azir in a way that was like a lot more comfortable for him. Um, I know, like, that it's funny because the next year, I remember 2016, he was coming out with this, like, insane assassin Azir that was, like, really fun to watch. Uh, but I'll, I will say this. I've never seen more people upset about best of three in a really, really long time, with the exception of some LGD fans last night, and that was a best of five, and it was because it was kind of a meaningless matchup uh, between Sooning and LGD, but putting China aside. Uh so many people like I was watching the the LPL playoffs so I didn't see this match live I went back and watched it uh the VOD but all I saw was my entire Twitter timeline just so mad that T1 picked Galio and and that effort had such a rough game to the point where they were like is this match fixing? Are they throwing when Faker is on the team? No, I, I saw like some really mad fans saying about this, uh, saying this. Um, I think the thing that's really important to understand when you have a mid like closer that you do want to be successful, regardless of how well Faker is or isn't playing right now, if you want to establish uh, a lot of uh, momentum behind a mid laner, you pick them good matchups. You put them on stuff they're comfortable with or in these like uh, like Akali matchups or whatever. You make sure that he's comfortable in, in the 1v1, right? Like you you pick him champions he's comfortable on. You pick comps that will make this player shine. It is it, specifically in, in South Korea and China, stepping into a position like this where you're like stepping in for Faker already invites a lot of ire. So like... You, the team is going to put you in the best position to succeed as possible. And I know they really want to get behind Closer as kind of a person who could theoretically down the road, I'm not saying this year, but theoretically down the road, become Faker's successor, right? And that is such a hard position to step into. Like, look at what happened to RNG this year with, uh, with Betty, with, uh, with Gala, trying to replace the the footsteps of Uzi uh, and the fan reaction to both of those players, um, even after Uzi had retired. Uh, I think that this is a really difficult position uh, for Closer to be in, to be quite honest. Um, I'm hoping that people are a little bit nicer to him than what I saw on social media. Uh, but, but I do think that if you're T1, we've seen them do this in the past, uh, since 2015, um, whether they've been justifying it as a, we have this player who plays a very specific champion better in Easy Hoon, um, or in the, in this case, it really more to me, especially with the way they introduced Closer in some matches against teams that T1 was, you know, very, very much expected to beat, <clears throat> my own KT Rolster. Uh, I think that the, the thing that they want to do is, Get behind Closer. Establish him as someone who who can win with this team. Establish him as someone who is kind of the next generation of, of T1. And that means putting him in a position to succeed with the draft. Um, 
And and to the to the faker Galio point, A, I don't think Galio's a bad champion. The Galio Camille combo is actually very good. But B, uh, I think that the uh, I'm not even necessarily defending it in a vac like in a vacuum here, but I'm just saying in a vacuum that combo is not is not bad. And Faker's Galio is actually really 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 good and can take over an entire game. So I do want to point that out. But at the same time, you know, when you see Faker go into these games, they are going to be relying on him to to be better they're not necessarily going to play around him in the same way that they're going to play around closer and i think people would be really mind should be really mindful of that when they start discussing um what t1 is doing in some of these games jacob final thought on this yeah i mean i like he's in a closer's in a position where you know i think many of us uh let's take a step back here i think many of us when Tyler broke the faker news earlier in the year that this was like basically a lifetime contract, right? Like a lot of these, a lot of us looked at that and thought that this means faker was going to play forever, but we don't know a lot about faker. And like, I've been doing a lot of interviews about like, we know a lot, but we, at the same time we don't, right? Like I've been doing a lot of interviews with people who have played with him or, uh, who have coached him, uh, over the past two years, um, for some of our world's content. And everyone's like, what you see publicly is this, like, very blank individual that is not Faker behind the scenes. Like, he is a very emotional individual who holds himself to an incredibly high standard. He is very difficult on himself, right? Like, it's why he's been able to become the greatest of all time in League of Legends. And I think there's potentially a world where maybe not this season is the end, but I don't think we're that far from it either. Like, and it, it may be his call and not, like... That's my thought. Like, I don't, I don't ever say if he wants to keep playing, he's going to keep playing. Right. Even if it's not as much as he's, he's played in entire seasons, but like, he's also like, I, you have to imagine that being in the position he's been in for so long is like incredibly stressful. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any one player in league of legends who has had as much stress as him. And like, that's why we see moments like the 2017 world championship where he broke down and cried because he had put so much pressure on himself, right? Like, like I was talking to Rabbitstar this past week, and Rabbitstar was like, that's not the first time Faker has cried in front of us. It's the first time he's cried in public, right? Like, in front of fans, right? Like, the dude is, like, mega hard on himself. And, like, at some point, like, I'm sure that's exhausting. And, you know, he did an interview with OGN a couple of years ago where he talked about some of that stuff because, it, like, you know, Korean culture is what it is, and people don't really talk about their emotions like that as much, as much forward-facedly as, as people here in the West do. But I can't imagine it's easy being faker. And no. and so I like when he wants Tyler, to hang it up, Tyler he's gonna literally hang it up, put right? out a, like, Tyler literally put out a tweet where he put the four most prominent Korean superstars <laughs> in the same tweet and faker fit right in. Yeah. If yeah. not if not being like one of the carriers of that tweet. Oh, yeah, he's, 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 an icon. he's an icon in Korea. He's a national icon. He's not I wouldn't say he's big as like Son from Tottenham Hotspur or BTS, but I think he does fit in that you know pantheon of South Korea is very prideful of its of its you know if, if its countrymen and countrywomen who can become stars globally, and we've seen it with BTS, we've seen it with uh, a Bong Joon Ho, a Parasite, we saw it with Son of, of Tottenham Hotspur, and I think Faker really has become an icon in South Korea because he is a global superstar. People from China. From Shanghai to India to Los Angeles to Stockholm, Sweden, they all sing the praises of Faker. When you say Faker, 
in any sort of context in terms of video games. People know it. Even if you don't watch League of Legends, Faker carries a weight to it. That way people know yeah. that Faker is a godly video game player. Mm -hmm. And he, he has earned the respect to be able mm -hmm. to go out on his own terms. Yeah. Yeah. Right, I changed my mind. I changed my mind. I'm starting Faker. No, can I just say that I, I still think Faker is like by far the better player? Like yeah. It's really, it's yeah. really yeah. unfair to be saying like, oh, like again, like I think it, it comes down to like, and I'm not disagreeing with what T1 are doing with Closer either, because I do think that's what you do. You have a new player. You want to get behind them. You kind of want to like gas them up a bit. Be like, you're, you know, like you're our next guy. Like we believe in you to go in these 1v1 matchups. We trust you to be able to carry a game. Like, I don't think that's a bad strategy. I think it's a really good strategy. But in terms of like an entire player, I think Faker is still like the vastly superior player. And anyone who thinks otherwise is just wrong. I'm My sorry. final point, I'll, I'll, one final point on this is that I do agree that Faker is the better player, but let's, Emily, you were there with me last year in Madrid, game four, T1 versus G2, Faker's on Kiana. If Faker even has a decent Kiana game, if he plays a 6 out of 10 Kiana game, T1 win that game, it goes to a game five. He played one of the worst Kiana games I think we've ever seen in the pro level. And I think that is the insurance, right? You want to have a player that you can trust on these high-level assassins who can play at a very aggressive style if need be. And if you're T1, I think we can all agree on this. If they make worlds, T you play Faker and you have Closer there just in case. I think having two really good mid laners who can play differing styles could work. I know there's going to be a lot of teams there with one really godly mid laner, Showmaker, Yigal, Knight, you know, Caps, Larson. There's going to be a lot of really good mid laners there. But if you're T1, maybe having two aces up your sleeve isn't a bad idea. And I do think that while Faker is the far superior player now, Closer does have a load of potential, and we can see yes. glimpses of it. It's just, it's far off. And maybe at Worlds, he'll take it to another level if they make it there, but I do think that Faker, they're not going to win the World Championship without Faker having at least some part of it. I do yep. think that Faker has to be part of this T1 team in some capacity, in some kind of way, for them to win the World Championship, but I think that him and Closer could do it together. That'll do it here for us on Rift Rewind. Thank you very much for joining us. Of course, the next time we are on this program, a lot more will have been settled in the postseason. We will break it all down and foreshadow worlds even further on our next episode. Every Tuesday, 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Emily, Arda, Tyler, and Jacob with you. We'll catch you next week.